Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this place together. We thank you for the opportunity in our week to turn our attention, our hearts and minds to your word. Father, would you speak through your words today, the Bible? Father, would your Holy Spirit take my words, convict and change? Father, would you bring us to a place where we are fully committed to Jesus, seeking him before ourselves? We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, I thought I might start by asking you something completely trivial. Has, has anyone here built a card house? Yeah? And I think these things come and go in terms of fashion. Has anyone made one in the last year? Stuart. Oh, you do it for school. Right, that explains it. That's good. Uh, but but apart, apart from for school, uh, has anyone built one in the last five years? Like, seriously, I, I can't remember the last time I built one, but I, I used to build them. Uh, has anyone had a card house last for more than um, five minutes? Matthew? Ah. Um, Matthew, how long have you had a uh, card house last for? Uh, Matthew just said, if you use glue, they last for a long time. Uh, yes, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Typically, though, this would be a picture of a temporary accommodation. Would that be correct? Uh, they just don't hang around. They depart very, very quickly, uh, particularly as you add the second, third and fourth layers, uh, and then there's some cursing and whatever other things that happen uh, at that point. Uh, in contrast to this highly temporary housing, um, I wonder, does anyone know where this is? Yeah, it's in England, that's right, in the, in the UK. This is called New Grange. Uh, it was built, uh, they tell me, uh, about 3100 BC. Other things being equal, that would mean that this is a house that's been around for roughly 5,000 years. Ah, that's a little bit further down the track from our card house. An impressive structure, a structure built to last uh, with permanent ideas, I guess, when they, when they put it together. We can go back even further than that, though. Uh, does anyone know where this magnificent seaside dwelling is? Uh, this is in Scotland. Um, Nap of Hour, well, I don't know how to say that. Anyway, that's what it's called. Um, about 3,700 BC. So this is almost 6,000 years old, give or take. Now, now this, this dwelling was actually, you know, it's put there intentionally to last. They, it's using sturdy stones. It's got uh, a little shed next to it out the back, so you know that the Australian dream is alive and well even in Scotland uh, 6,000 years ago. Uh, it's, it's an impressive achievement to have any structure last for that period of time. It, it really is uh, an impressive, uh, impressive achievement. Who builds things that last for 6,000 years? What kind of people build stuff that's designed to last like that? Well, at one level, you want to say mighty people, strong people, people with purpose. Well, go back. Uh, people with uh, purpose, people with passion, I guess in some sense, people with a desire for eternity. That first big round one actually was a tomb, so that gives you some idea, uh, is designed to last because it's your home for all eternity. So it's people with a, a fixation that this has to last. And you have to be a pretty strong and passionate people to build a building like that because you could be ploughing and feeding yourself. Yep. So you have to have passion and purpose to build something like that. Well, I want to consider for a second 
Does, do those words, mighty, passionate, purpose, eternal, do they describe Christians? A mighty people, passionate, building things that last for all eternity. Does that describe Christians? Maybe it does. I, I, kind of, I kind of think we'd like it to. Would that be a fair answer? We'd like it to describe us. Or what would describe Christians? Well, if we ask the world around us, uh, what do we come up with? Uh, has anyone heard this recently? It's, a, it's one of these weird Australianisms, I think. Or it might be English, I don't know. But people talk about God-botherers. Oh, you're one of those God-botherers. I think the idea is you pray a lot and so you must be bothering God. You're a, you're a God-botherer. I think that's the idea. Uh, this one, of course, uh, gets good round any time we kind of think of these things. Christians are just a bunch of... Good that we're talking about that in church. That's excellent. Uh, we're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, and then this one, I don't know if you've heard this one, um, so heavenly minded they're of no earthly use. Have you, have you heard this one? Some of you are nodding and some of you are going, what planet do you come from? The, the idea of this one, the idea of this accusation is that there are people so passionately in love with Jesus and, and all that sort of stuff that they don't do anything useful. They're disconnected from the actual practical real world. They're so heavenly minded they're of no earthly use. They, they don't contribute anything that matters. Now, if that was true, that would be a pretty damning kind of account of Christians. But, but I actually think it's actually even a little bit worse than that. You think to yourself, oh my goodness, how could it be worse than that? Well, let me think for a second. The idea of being God-botherers is that we pray so much, we bother God. I, I want to suggest tentatively that maybe we don't pray enough to actually be God-botherers. Hypocrites, the idea here is that you have a holy, righteous standard. Everybody knows you stand for righteousness, you stand for purity, you stand for... And the idea that you're a hypocrite is you're not living up to that. Here's the challenge, I think. Are we people who aren't so concerned for righteousness anymore? What about this so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly use? Well, again, I'm, I just think a little bit with you this morning. Uh, are we really people who don't think very much of heaven at all? We, it would be overstating it to say that we're so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly use because we're not very heavenly-minded. That's, uh, that's a pretty sorry sort of accounts, isn't it? What does Jesus have to say to us today? How, how would he speak to us? How would he re-engineer this thing that is uh, us today? We're, we're doing a series that's been working on this, and we've been looking through uh, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, uh, Jesus in suburbia, trying to think through Jesus' high standard, the suburban life that we live that can too often characterise us as the church. And, uh, and last, last week, uh, I wasn't here, but I'm, I'm sure Matthew gave us uh, lots to uh, consider as I read the Karen Connect cards. Uh, it sounds like Matthew uh, pushed us uh, to be faithful with our finances and to put our trust in Jesus. Uh, chapter 6 really does push us in that direction. Chapter 7, we hear some more challenge, but I hope some encouraging things as well. Uh, so let's have a look at chapter 7 here. Chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 3 says this, "'Do not judge, or you too will be judged.'" For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
The point here really is that judgment is coming. Uh, See, it says, don't judge for you will be judged. Uh, The point that we miss quite often in suburbia is, uh, well, uh, who would judge me? If I'm clear to my own conscience, I stand and fall to myself, it doesn't matter. And what the Bible's saying here is, no, 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 there's someone who will judge you. Judgment is, is coming. So in light of that, uh, how should we live? Well, it says there, why do you look at the speck of sawdust? This is one of those famous things, isn't it? Everyone knows this, don't you? Do you know this? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. It's interesting, isn't it? There's Jesus talking, uses that word. You you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If there's judgment coming, don't neglect insight into your own problems. I think there's two points to be made here. The first is, don't condemn freely. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, It says here, uh, do not judge. So we can think to ourselves, we'll never speak to anyone about anything. There we go, I've got the chapter and verse to tell me. And so if anyone ever says to you, hey, you need to pull your socks up there, that's not quite good behaviour, you can say, ah, Jesus says do not judge. Well, clearly that's not what he's intending. What what Jesus is intending, because he does actually rebuke them for a start, and then he encourages us to do exactly what our enduring value is about, which is to strengthen one another as we stumble. So it must be okay to point out other people's issues, but if we do it freely, condemning everyone, look, you've got this wrong, you've got this wrong, you've we've clearly missed the point here. So don't condemn freely. Secondly, watch your hypocrisy. So you know the old one, when I'm pointing at you, I'll point to an empty seat. When I'm pointing at you, there are three fingers pointing back at me. You know this one? So the point here is uh, that we might derive any pleasure from judging others is a terrible mistake. We've clearly missed the issues in our own life. So we shouldn't run around freely condemning and we need to, as a church, watch our hypocrisy that we don't, in the process, expose our own error and blindness. So there we go. There's our start. Uh, don't, don't condemn freely. Watch your own hypocrisy. Good start. The next thing we see is that God rewards seekers. I, I love this. God wants to be found. The living God wants to be found and he rewards seekers. Have a look with me at the verses that follow, verses 6 to 12. It might seem a bit strange, the first bit, but but bear with me. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You've heard that, um, don't throw your pearls before swine. comes from here. Ask... And it will be given to you, verse 7 says. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Well, first thing to say is, if God rewards seekers, rewards genuine seekers, then we need to be people who don't feed the pigs. Let's think about that for a second. Why does he say, don't throw your pearls before swine? You might think, hey, look, I've got... I was talking to someone the other day. He said, look, a relative in my family is a firm atheist. Firm atheist. We've had the conversations. We've had them again. We've had them again. And then we've had them again. And firm. 
Now, at that point, you've got two choices, don't you? You can just keep on going. Now, really, can I tell you some more about the love of God? Or you can decide, well, at this point, because of the hardness of your heart, I'm just going to step back. This precious, beautiful good news of the living God who cares for you, who wants to forgive your sin, if you treat that with disrespect, if you trample all over that, if you say that's rubbish, well, rather than putting this precious message before you anymore, I might choose to step back. Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. He's certainly not saying, don't give the message of new life to people who are difficult. Please keep doing that. But to people who are resolvedly hard, you might want to take a step back. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Secondly, he says, knock and it'll open. I I love this. Everyone who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's so funny, isn't it? We're in church land, so we're in church. So we, we kind of just ignore this stuff, don't we? I just, just a little secret between the two of us, three of us, have many here today. Here's the thing. What we've just read in the Bible here is Jesus saying God wants to be found. That any truly seeking heart will be met by the living God. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. The living God is not sitting on the dark side of Pluto unable to be known. Did you get this? He wants to be known. He says, he promises here, if you seek, you will find. I just think that's extraordinary. So I want to say to people who don't know Jesus, you know what? Open your Bible, read it. If you genuinely seek, he will genuinely be found by you. How do I know that? Oh, I'm just balancing probability. I've seen a couple of case studies. No, no, no. This is the word of Jesus saying, look, he will be found if you seek him. So today, if you're here and you don't know him, or you'd like to know him more, and you're thinking, how do I do that? Your honest seeking of him will be rewarded. And do you know how much that will cost? Nothing. It's so free that we'll neglect it. Is that right, church? It's extraordinary, isn't it? If I told you for a million dollars you could come away to a special camp with me and we will train you over the next six years until you get to meet the creator of the universe, right? Well, all of a sudden there'd be people thinking, well, it would take me some time. I might have to mortgage my house and rearrange things. But if you're telling me I could know the secrets of the universe, meet the person behind the universe, I'm in. And here it is saying, well, if you seek him with your genuine heart, he's he's able to be found by you for free today, starting now. Extraordinary. God rewards seekers. Don't feed the pigs. Knock and it will open. And then an even more beautiful promise, if that's possible. Uh, God gives good gifts. Have a look at what it says here in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Incidentally, if you're a parent that wants to give your kids a snake when they ask for a fish, don't do it. The idea is no one would do that. Verse 11 says, If then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? If you parents know how to give good gifts to your kids... If you've figured that out, how much more will your heavenly father? So when we ask him, 
Do we ask a grudging father? No, we don't. He delights to give what is good to his children. Now, now the problem is, we often don't know what's good for us. And so we'll say, Dad, Dad, can I have a chainsaw? No, you can't have a chainsaw. I love you so much, I'm not going to give you a chainsaw. Dad, can I have a beautiful meal that will sustain me? Yes, of course you can. I love you. You can have that. The, the difference is he will give good gifts to his children, joyfully, willingly, freely. The problem that we kind of build up in our minds is, God, I really want, and it's not a good gift. God rewards seekers. Don't feed the pigs. Knock and it'll open and know that he gives good gifts. The next section I've called, Seek Life Well. Seek Life Well. Uh, There's a uh, great encouragement here. Have a look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's incredible, isn't it? There's a sense in which uh, the world is going in one direction, and it's easy, going with the flow. Uh, I've often said before, a dead dog can swim with the tide. You with me? A dead dog can swim with the tide. Uh, The tide's going out. It goes along, right? That will happen with no effort. Dead dog goes with the tide. Here's the thing. Fish? Dead fish. Well, it's kind of, they might be more at home. I was thinking of something that's dead, you know. That was this thing going on. Uh, So here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want, I want you to know. Going with the flow, that's our, that's our life, that's the world, that's suburbia. That's just listening to the messages of the world around us. It's not living God's way. He actually says, broad is the road, wide is the gate that leads to where? Bunnings, Ikea, Woolworths. Broad is the road, yeah? Not that there's anything evil in those particular structures, but the idea is here, have a look at verse 14 with me. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Will it be easy to follow Jesus? No, it's narrow. It's hard. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Where's the other road leading to? It's leading to destruction. Where's the road of following Jesus leading to? Life, in all its fullness. Life, new life. The encouragement here is to choose the narrow path. Well, I want to go to life and I want to follow Jesus. On that journey, we'll face three dangers. Three dangers that we'll face. And they're the three things that Jesus will talk about um, in the remainder of this passage. Three dangers that we'll face away from suburbia as we're following the narrow, narrow path, following after Jesus. First one's here. Have a look at verse, uh, verse 15 with me. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Now, maybe uh, when Stuart read the reading from Jeremiah 24, you're thinking to yourself, wow, what's this got to do with the Sermon on the Mount? It's about kings and exiles and it's all very strange. Did you hear the thing about fruit? 
figs, good figs, bad figs. Do you remember that? Here it says, by their fruit you will recognise them. See that? You'll recognise their goodness or their badness based on the fruit they produce. Here's, uh, here's a man um, from some time ago. Does anyone know who that is? Sorry? Sorry, yes? Jimmy Swaggart. Absolutely right. Uh, a preacher in America, a guy who I'm sure in his time um, brought a lot of people to know a lot of good things. Along the way, however, uh, he found himself in deep waters and, uh, and fell pretty severely. In fact, uh, yeah, lost, uh, lost his ministry and a whole bunch of things. The, the, the point here isn't to say there's something wrong with being on TV or being an American preacher. That's, that's not the point. The, the point is the, di- the distance that TV introduces, right? I, I should, at this point, come down from the top here, shouldn't I? Just go, hi. Hi, Lisa. It's good to see you. Very good. Russell, it's good to see you. Good. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, on TV, on TV, I can't ever get to know the man, can I? Did you understand? They're, they're always at a distance. They're always at a distance. And it says here that they'll look like sheep, Yeah? But inwardly, they're what? Wolves, it says. That's what it says. What, what's the danger of being on TV and not being in the room? Well, the, the danger is that you don't know me. And, and so you can have false confidence in your leaders, it says. The, the, the way that we'll avoid having false confidence in our leaders, it says in verse 17, Likewise, every tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Is that difficult to understand? No, good. Okay, so that's totally straightforward. Here's the application. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. How will you know if your leaders are doing a good or bad job? How will you know if they're sheep in wolves' clothing? I think the only way that you can genuinely know is look at their lives. If you want to last on this journey, this narrow path that takes us to life, that's following Jesus, I think we need to be wary. Jesus says the first one is watch out for false prophets. I think the way to know is to look at their lives. And so I would invite you into my life and Matt's life that you would know us, that you would know us and that you might judge the fruit, which is not to say that you'll find me perfect in any way, but you'll find me pursuing Jesus. And I want you to be able to see that and know that. Look at their lives so that you might not be taken away by the false prophet. The second danger that we can face, and we see in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The second danger we can face on this journey is uh, one that comes from having dirty hands. Uh, Now, you're all thinking, I'm pretty sure I cleaned my hands before I came to church. Should be okay. What, what, what I mean by this is there's a false confidence that we can have that comes from action. So I'm someone who's always doing stuff for church, at church, with church, around church. My confidence comes from the fact that I'm a doer. And so when I'm looking for, am I following Jesus? Am I sorted out? I don't look in here. I look to here and go, yep, I'm doing a lot. Do, do you understand the danger? So I think the challenge here, 
Jesus says incredibly stunningly, doesn't he? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Crazy. In fact, he says, many, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? By the way, if we'd done that, do you think we'd reckon that we're on track? Verse 23 then should be a punch for us, shouldn't it? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. What, what's the key here? Because they sound like great things, yeah? What's the key? Look at your relationship. Not just your doing. Am I doing things for God, therefore I'm okay? No, no, no. He says, depart from me, I never what? There's an intimacy, a relationship that's supposed to be part of our walk with Jesus. That he would know us, that we would know him. Remember the God who's ready to be found? That we would know him. So when we're looking for confidence, we shouldn't look to our hands and go, see, I'm doing enough. Do I know Jesus? Does he know me? Look at your relationship. The third false confidence that we can have is here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, bought, who built his house on the sand. There's a, a confidence that can come at some level from thinking that you know it all. From thinking that you know it all or that you're deeply steeped in all these things. And, and so there's a sense in which, I, I, I think, you can have a false confidence in your hearing Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. There's lots of hearing. Oh yeah, yeah I, 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 I go to church on Sunday. I'm there every Sunday. I go to life group on a Wednesday or a Thursday or whenever it is. I also study the Bible on my own. I'm a person who does lots of hearing but I don't do anything with it. I never do anything with it. I just listen. I'm just a consumer of information. There can be a false confidence that comes from hearing. What's the antidote? Have a look at, uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had foundations on the rock. Hears these words and puts them into practice. That's the solid foundation person. How do I know if I'm one of those people? We should look at your obedience. Do I turn my understanding into activity? Do you see this? The opposite danger was I have lots of activity but no relationship. This danger is, I have lots of understanding, but no activity that flows from it. Do you see? And what does Jesus look for? It's not difficult. Option C. Understanding with action, yeah? Relationship that overflows into compassionate engagement with this world. So he says, in everything you do, he says this back in verse 12, but I thought it was nice to put it here. So he says in verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You want to live in this way? Well, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
But this sums up the law and the prophets. You must know the law and the prophets. And then, what would you do? You would live a life of love in service to your Lord. That's what he's looking for. It's interesting, though. We we talk about a house that's not blown over in the storm. A house that lasts through the flood and the storm. We're seeking to build something here, something that will last. Uh, The whole idea of Jesus versus suburbia is we're trying to build something. And suburbia tells us, particularly in Oran Park and around the place, build something, doesn't it? It's all about building something. The trick is, we think this is the building at uh, Newgrange rather than the card house it is, yeah? So we're building, I want my house to last at least until I sell it. Until its capital is appreciated enough for me to move on to the next thing, yeah? It's amazing, isn't it? Is this our fixation? We're seeking to build something that might last a little while. Even here as a church, it's, it's easy to kind of miss this, isn't it? And think, well, we're building something that will really last here. Now, I, I'm hoping that this uh, magnificent structure that we have here uh, will last. That's a satellite photo. I really like that one. It's very cool. Um, I hope we're building something that will last. Will it be here in 100 years? I don't know. Do you know? Will it be here in 500 years? Gee, that's a stretch, isn't it? Will the earth be here in 500 years? Will Jesus have returned? Are we building something that lasts here when we look at brick and mortar? Uh, I don't think so. We're trying to build something else. Something eternal. Something that will last. Something that storms can't destroy. Something that rust can't erode, corrode. Something that will last. What are we building? We're building a church. But don't look here. Look here. Who's doing the building, by the way? Jesus is building his church, isn't he? He uses you and I. He uses Matt and myself. What are we trying to do? We are trying to build the church, a church that will last, that the gates of hell will not overcome. I love that because that will be there in a thousand years. This group of people who love Jesus, who followed on the narrow path, who care for what he cares about, who seek the kingdom, they'll be here in a thousand years' time. You and I, God willing, will be standing in eternity. For how long? For an unfathomably large amount of time called forever. That's incredible, isn't it? We can be part of building something today that will last forever. And so at New Life, we talk about, we say that we long to see New Life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing Southwest for their salvation, for the good of this community and for the glory of God. Why? Because we're about building something bigger than ourselves. We want to see something here that will echo into all eternity. That gets me excited. So how is this vision, this vision of the kingdom, of building something that will last, shaping our time, our talents, and our treasure? We want to think about how does it impact us. If we're people who will get away from suburbia, if we're people who will truly follow Jesus, how is it impacting us? So we want to think about the way it impacts our time, our calendar. We want to think about if we have this vision for the kingdom, for building something that will last, how does it affect the resume, the things that I have at my disposal, the talents I have? How does it affect my wallet, the treasure that I've accumulated? How are these things about me being shaped by this vision for the kingdom? Well, we have a little form, which 
I haven't got for you today, but uh, we can give you another point. A little form that says, how is the kingdom of God shaping our time? And, And what we ask there is we get you to think. Think about your week. Do you have something that you're doing in your week that is helping build this kingdom vision? I hope so. Do you have parts of your week where you go, I don't know why I do this. It just fills my life up. We'd love to talk with you and say, how can we use that? How could you use that time to be an ambassador for Jesus? How could that be a place where you can be giving and living the message of new life? Thinking about your week and going, is the kingdom shaping my week? Or is school and finances and family dominating all of that such that God doesn't get a look in? How is the kingdom shaping our time? Secondly, we think about how is the kingdom of God shaping the use of my talents? So I don't know when the last time you put a resume together. Uh, I haven't done one for ages. Some of you are just polishing one up at the moment, I imagine, or you've just submitted it. Or some of our wonderful Chesalonian residents are very thankful they don't have to do that anymore, perhaps. But the resume is, here are the skills and talents I've got, They're at the disposal of this organisation. I want new employment and here's what's good about me. I wonder if we've gone, what are the things that are good about me? How could I put them to use in God's kingdom? Now, I had a great conversation with someone here, who I won't use their name, but uh, the other day, and uh, she, uh, she said to me, look, I'm I'm in this particular point in life where all this stuff is going on, but I feel I'm not doing enough. I'd love to help. I have these things that I can do. Can you give me something to do? I love it. That's what God wants from us. Do you have skills and talents that you would love to unleash here? I don't know. I'd love you to tell me, hey, I can play the trumpet. I know that's what... No, I'm joking. Um, Maybe maybe you play the trumpet. Maybe uh, you're a person who... Well, I know a variety of us have all sorts of different craft skills. Maybe you're someone who does accounting. Hello. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're people who, uh, who look after property. Maybe you're a maintenance person. I don't know. Maybe you're someone who loves phoning people up. You're excellent at connecting. Maybe you're someone who loves making meals. The scope is vast. Can we together as a church put our talents at the disposal of Jesus and say, here we are, use us. I would love to think so. Does the kingdom impact our wallet, our finances? Are we directing our finances to kingdom ends? Does it get a look in at all? Now, wonderfully, I can say with great thankfulness, yes, it does. Many, many of you support the work here at church and beyond here in all sorts of Christian endeavour. My thing would be making sure that our finances aren't untouched by our passion to see God's kingdom come. And if it's totally absent, I would say to you, good place to start. Why don't you start there, getting your finances in line with your passion for the kingdom of God? I would want us to be a church, not of God-botherers, but who are prayerful in all things. I would love us to not be a church of hypocrites, but a church full of integrity in every aspect of our lives. I would love us to be a church that is so heavenly-minded that we are engaged right here, 
that we are engaged right here. Because heaven matters, because eternity is open, because we can make a difference, we're passionately engaged right here to see the kingdom grow. A church where our values are on show, where we're adventurous in all things, where we're faithful in every aspect of life, where we're compassionate to see God's kingdom grow enduringly. I'm going to pray that when it comes to Jesus and suburbia, when it comes to Jesus and suburbia, that this church right here, dear Lord, let Jesus win. Let Jesus win. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have put at our disposal time, talents, treasure. We thank you that through Jesus you have won a mighty victory on the cross, that you have called us to be a people who swim against the tide, who walk the narrow path, who enter the narrow gate. But Father, we don't want to enter that gate alone. Father, would you help us be people who see new life come to every home here in Oran Park? Would you help us put all of our resources at your disposal? Would you help us build something that would last for all eternity? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That'd be a good prayer, wouldn't it? Dear Lord, let Jesus win. I'm struggling this week, Lord. Dear Lord, let Jesus win. I'm overwhelmed with my pressures of life. Dear Lord, let Jesus win. When we come to the, uh, the Care and Connect cards, which Matthew, Matthew will do later, I'd love you to think, is there something in my time that I'd like to let you know that I've, I've got free that I'd love to understand I can put at your disposal, Lord? Is there something, a talent that you have that you'd like to let us know? Please do that as well. Sorry? Do it now. Oh, great. Yeah, great. Get out of order. Let's roll with that. Um, get your Care and Connect cards out. That'd be great. They look like this. Thanks, Matt. Don't put it off, Matt. Seize the day. That's good thinking. Uh, they look like this. I'd love you to get it out. Uh, if everyone can get one out, that'd be helpful. I'll get a pen too. Uh, and we'll fill them in. What I'd love you to think is, is there something that uh, I'm able to put at God's disposal in my time? Or maybe you'd like to write down, please pray for me. I spend eight hours of my week commuting. How on earth has that got any usefulness for the kingdom? Maybe you've got a talent. You're thinking, gracious, I'm amazing at crochet. I would love to wrap the building in crochet. I don't know what it is. If you can put down, I've got a talent, I'd love to put it at the disposal of the church, that would be great. When it comes to your treasure, you might say, uh, please pray for me, we've got commitments coming out of our ears, I'd love to change my arrangements so they were more kingdom focused, but I can't at the moment. Please pray for me. We'd love that. You might say, we're doing something, but we'd love to be more generous. Pray for my heart to be soft and open. Or alternatively, on our Care and Connect cards every week, you have a chance to put down a prayer point, something that's happening this week that you would love us to pray for. Please do that too. And, uh, and Matt and I will pray for you on, a, on Monday as we meet.